Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Recently, in response to a threat by county commissioners to withhold almost $8 million in funding, the Johnston County School Board adopted a new policy that purports to tell teachers how they should instruct students in American history. Supporters say the policy prohibits the teaching of an obscure university-level discipline known as critical race theory, but the actual language is a confusing mishmash that seems likely to bewilder and intimidate professional educators. Earlier this week, in an effort to learn more about the new policy and a host of other important developments from the world of public education, I caught up with my colleague, NC Policy Watch education reporter, Greg Childress. Greg Childress, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Glad to be here, Rob. I really appreciate you coming on. There's so much to report on right now from the world of public education. Let's start with an event that's happened in recent days in Johnston County, where local officials have sort of waded into this debate that's been going on across the country over how we teach kids about history, and in particular, how we teach them about race in American history. The bogeyman that conservatives have been lifting up is something called critical race theory. And I know you've reported on that and reported on what's going on in Johnston County. Is there a handy way to sort of summarize what's been going on in in Johnston? Today is, Rob. Just this week, the county commissioners had demanded that the Board of Education in Johnson County adopt a policy or revise a policy banning critical race theory from classrooms in Johnson County. The problem with that is critical race theory is not taught in Johnson County. <laughs> So, so the county commission is holding $7.9 million a hostage, uh, so to speak, from its budget adoption over the summer. Held that over the school board's head, and the school board revised its policy banning critical race theory. And so the board of commissions met on Monday and awarded them the money it had failed. I was reading the policy, actually, before we got together to record this. It doesn't really talk about critical race theory, but it has some sort of vague language. You can see that that's where they're heading. But some of the language doesn't really even make any sense. The policy says, all people who contributed to American society will be recognized and presented as reformists, innovators, and heroes to our culture. If I were a school teacher, I'm not sure I'd know what the heck that means. I'm not sure what it means to say you contributed to American society and that everybody's a hero. I'll take a swing at it for them. I think what they're, what they're asking and what they're trying to convey here is that our heroes, people we look up to and respect from a historical perspective, uh, they were imperfect, but we shouldn't go out, out of our way to hold that up. We should focus instead on the positive aspects of, of their contributions to, to society. But that's unrealistic, and and that is one of the things that people have criticized the most about these actions. And that is that the boards of education and county commissions, in this case, are trying to hide the truth about America's racial past. We all know what it is. Hopefully we do. (laughs) I mean, it points out, I mean, the obvious example that leaps to mind is Thomas Jefferson, a great hero of Americana, wrote the Declaration of Independence, did a lot, was president of the United States, got the Louisiana Purchase, but he was also a slaveholder who enslaved people for their entire lives. And indeed, appears pretty reputable information also had an entire second family with one of the women that he enslaved. There's nothing controversial about particularly about presenting that. And it would be up to, I suppose, to the individuals to decide whether they think Jefferson is a hero or a hypocrite or I'm not sure how how a history teacher would approach something like that, other than perhaps just to hide the truth. I think the end game in this, and and one of the um, county commissioners last night mentioned this, he he talked very passionately about how his uh, seventh grade teacher 
read from Uncle Tom's cabin uh, to his class after lunch each day. And that, that he said the students got it. They actually mm-hmm. got it. For him, the policy revisions by the school district, he sees them as a way to hold his grandchildren harmless from the acts of people who owned slaves in, in the past and the ones who participated in Jim Crow practices. And so that's what he sees his policy as doing, holding his grandkids uh, harmless. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm not sure that I'm aware of any teachers who've wanted to hold somehow the, the children of today somehow responsible for those sins. But And, and I think we've, we've reported this, and I, I think you uh, probably have editorialized about this, but this is more of a political grab here, more so than true concern about uh, what's being taught in classrooms. This, this is, has been very effective and mobilizing the conservative base here in North Carolina and indeed across the country. And it's working very effectively. I've attended some school board meetings in person. I've I've watched some online. And people are very passionate about this issue, critical race theory. And the only thing that perhaps tops that is mask mandate. So (laughs) those are two things parents have been very vocal in speaking out against. Yeah, we see polls that show that still large majorities of the public favors uh, requiring masks, that we also see the science that shows that they're enormously beneficial in our public schools and other public places where people gather, especially indoors. But you're right, there's a very loud minority that remains passionate in their opposition to masks. And that continues to be something we just saw a story actually this week that the FBI is now investigating threats against school boards across the country and teachers, uh, which mostly center around this mask issue. It's it's certainly been your reporting that this remains a passionate debate in North Carolina. It has. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. The people pushing the uh, Opposition against mask mandate and, and protesting against critical race theory have been very uh, effective in, in getting people to rally around these issues. Sometimes so, a very loud uh, minority can have a big impact, even if they are in the minority. It's amazing in the sense that they have been very effective in taking attention off of the other subjects that were being discussed at the start of the pandemic, the need for additional school resources, teachers and psychologists and school counselors. And if you can recall, at the early part of the pandemic, that was the major discussion. We were amazed at, at the level of resources that school districts didn't have. Now we're talking about something totally different. There's very little discussion about broadband for everyone, health care for everyone, and, and these issues. The focus has been entirely on critical race theory and mask mandates and whether a person is vaccinated or not. Yeah, it's a real study in how sometimes political strategy can shift policy debates in our nation. Uh, there's a chance it would seem that when you speak about resources for our schools, that that subject will be back in the spotlight in the days ahead because we've got a couple of big things going on. We've got a, a state court judge, David Lee, who now oversees the longstanding landmark Leandro case, who seems to be on the verge of issuing an order directing the legislature to at last comply with our state's constitutional mandate to provide every child with an opportunity to receive a sound basic education, even if they live in a poor rural county that lacks the resources. Legislature's been pushing back saying, no, no, we're not going to do this. Meanwhile, the governor is is reportedly negotiating a trying to negotiate a final budget deal with the lawmakers several months into the fiscal year already, in which this is one of the main topics of discussion. What is your thinking these days in your reporting tell you about what's going on in Leandro and the prospect for maybe at last 
getting some more resources into public education in North Carolina? It's certainly going to be worth watching. Highly anticipated. Judge Lee has set an October 15th deadline for uh, state lawmakers to develop some plans to comply with the uh, Leandro mandate. He set a hearing for uh, October 18th, and he he said that he will decide next steps at that point. And we've reported that in other states where this has taken place, judges have issued fines, forcing them to pony up money to uh, at least start meeting the mandates to fully fund education in those states. Uh, Washington State is one that comes to mind. Other people have mentioned Kansas and other states uh, where this has also taken place. I guess the hope is that maybe there'll be some sort of final agreement in which the legislature and the courts and the governor could all come together, but doesn't seem to be a sure thing at this point. It doesn't. The Republican leadership in North Carolina has pushed back against it. Uh, there are some who don't believe the judge has authority to force them to spend money on improving education in North Carolina. It bears watching. We will see in another week or so where this is headed. We'll be there to report it, so stay tuned. One last question I want to ask you about in our final moments here is another topic you've reported on recently, which relates to Leandro, which is the remarkable number of children in North Carolina who are in our public schools who are categorized as homeless. This was a recent story you did. It showed that in 2019, it was something on the order of 35,000 children. The numbers appeared maybe to have dropped some last year because we had a pandemic and people weren't coming to school and we had an eviction moratoria. But the eviction moratoria have expired, unemployment insurance has expired, and it looks like these numbers are likely to spike again in the current school year, if I'm remembering your report yeah, correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Education leaders across the state are expecting those numbers to grow. Just to be clear, and, and this has been a learning exercise for me as well, children who are declared homeless, that does not necessarily mean they do not have a roof over their head. Right. Uh, often, often what's happening here, they're double bunking with relatives or friends and et cetera. But when they are declared uh, homeless officially by the federal government, they become eligible for a lot of resources under the McKinney-Vento Act. Mm -hmm. So in North Carolina, they are expecting more students to reach that level, and mainly due to the lifting of the moratorium on evictions. So more kids are expected to require those services. The good news about this is that the state now has additional money to to meet the needs of those students. I think I reported that. And there have been uh, several million dollars in federal money being made available to to school districts, and many of them are actually getting double their uh, usual amount to serve those kids. And then they're also getting additional one-time money from the federal government to address the needs of uh, students who are being homeless in in North Carolina. So that is a positive aspect. On on the one hand, we're likely going to see more students who are declared homeless. And that's the bad part to all of this. The good part is uh, the state is, is equipped with more resources. And the people I talked to, New Hanover County, Cumberland County, uh, are very passionate about this subject and, and, and very dedicated. So I know at least in those two counties, the children and families who are in need are in good hands. Well, that's some uh, consolation. It, it does highlight the fact that, I mean, the reality, of course, for, for a child is that whether they technically have a roof over their head, if they're not in the home that is a family home, it can be in a, a very disruptive, problematic situation. We know that the poverty that that reflects is often reflected back to us in the performance in school and the way kids succeed or fail to succeed in schools. And so the need for services is obviously acute. And that sort of then ties back to the whole Leandro issue, which is that we need more resources for basic things like counselors and 
and adequate teachers and psychologists and other kinds of service providers. So we sure hope that our state leaders will uh, will start getting serious about addressing those needs. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and I, I think as I've reported and others have reported in the state, there's no better time than now. The state has ample resources to, to meet these needs. The resources are there. Now all that's needed is the the will to actually do what's necessary to provide students with sound basic education. Well, we'll be watching for your reporting on it. Folks can find it at ncpolicywatch.com. Education reporter Greg Childress, thanks so much for being with us, my colleague. I'll talk to you again soon and uh, get an update later this fall. All right. Thanks for having me, Rob. Coming up next, a North Carolina peace advocate weighs in on some of the lessons America should take away from its 20-year occupation of Afghanistan. Don't go away. 